This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, anxiety is good when it drives a person to fight to search for God, to fight to find God. You know, Jeremiah 29.11, Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know, God speaking, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me. Bakash, you'll fight to search, you'll fight to find God. And find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. All right, so that's the first anxiety, which is good. Anxiety about feeling like I'm separated from God, I'm lost, I'm not safe from my sins, I'm gonna be judged for my sins, I'm gonna be going to hell. That's a good anxiety. There's another anxiety. There's another anxiety that's good, and it's designed by God to put us into action, and that can be seen in Ezekiel 22.30. Ezekiel 22.30, where God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge Stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Tragedy. Isaiah 59, 16. Isaiah 59, 16 says, and he saw that there was no man. God said, God said, it says, God saw there was no man. And wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. God is very concerned over the sinful state of our world and over the fact that sinners are going to the destruction of hell. He's very concerned about that. And he wants us to take action. He wants us to stop sinners from being destroyed in hell. And we can. And it hasn't all been predetermined, foreordained in a fatalistic manner. No, he's calling to us to become a hedge, to stand in the gap between an angry God and a sinful man. That's the work of intercession. That's the work of intercession. And God is looking for people who will take him seriously in this matter of intercession. What does it mean to be an intercessor? What is that? 
What does that mean? When it says to stand in the gap, it means to stand in between. It means to stand in between God and a particular sinner to plead for that sinner. It means for us to really get involved to the point of confessing the sins of that sinner to God and to say that if it was not for the grace of God, I'd be in the same boat as that sinner. Confessing the sins of others is what Daniel did. We see Daniel doing this. Daniel did this a lot. It says in Daniel 9.5, Daniel 9.5, where Daniel says, we, that means Daniel, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. That was Daniel 9.5. And then he goes on in the same chapter, Daniel 9.8. Daniel 9.8. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face to our kings and to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. And then he goes on in the 11th verse, Daniel 9.11, Daniel 9.11. Yea, all Israel has transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured out upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against thee. This is the man that was so, so much with God, he was opening up his windows every day, even though he's going to be thrown in a lion's den, and he's saying, we have sinned. He's identifying that much with the people. That's intercession. He goes on in verse 15, Daniel 9, 15, Daniel 9, 15. And now, O Lord our God, that hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renowned as at this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. That was Daniel. Jeremiah, same thing. Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah the intercessor. Jeremiah the intercessor is confessing the sin of others in Jeremiah 3.25, Jeremiah 3.25. We lie down in our shame and confusion covereth us for we have sinned against the Lord our God. We and our fathers from our youth, even unto this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. That's Jeremiah. Jeremiah goes on in chapter 8, verse 14, Jeremiah 8, 14. Why do we sit still? Assemble ourselves. Let us enter into the defense cities. Let us be silent there, for the Lord our God hath put us to silence and have given us water of gall to drink, because we have sinned against the Lord. Jeremiah 14, 7, Jeremiah 14, 7. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. Jeremiah 14, 20. We acknowledge O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. Then he goes on, he writes a whole book called Lamentations. Who writes a book called Lamentations? But he writes a book called Sadness. In Lamentations 5, 7, Jeremiah says, our fathers have sinned and are not, we have borne their iniquities. Lamentations 5, as Lamentations 5, 7, Lamentations 5, 17 says, Lamentations 5, 17, the crown is fallen from our head Woe unto us, for we have sinned. And Isaiah, he does this. We already talked about Isaiah 64. He talks about all our righteousness. The verse before that, Isaiah 64, 5, he says, we have sinned in those as continuance and we shall be saved. And King David, King David said in Psalm 106, verse 6, we have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. And then Jeremiah Jeremiah, he's confessing the sins. He puts himself in the same boat. 
in Nehemiah 1.6, Nehemiah 1.6, let thine ear now be attentive and thy eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. I mean, what would it be like? I mean, I want you to really think about this. What would it be like if you and I were to sort of like put a wing around, so to speak, a friend of ours who's a lost sinner, and as an intercessor, we were to confess the sins. We were to confess, we have sinned. You know, an intercessor, let me tell you what an intercessor does not do. An intercession does not say, I thank thee, O God, that I am not like him. He's really made a mess of his life, not me, not me. See, the opposite is the one of the intercessor from Luke 18, 11, Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee. I was talking about the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, oh God, I thank thee that I'm not as that other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. See, I am not. He had no compassion on him. This publican, he distanced himself from him. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, he left him hurt. This publican, he didn't bring him into his heart. With him, he prayed with himself. He didn't take care of him. He was self-centered. The heart of a true intercessor, the heart of a true intercessor, it's seen in that parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10.33, Luke 10.33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. See, he had compassion on him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He sought his healing. He set him on his own beast. He identified with him in his sin. He brought him to an inn. He took him to someone who could take care of him, and he took care of him. He took care of him. Now, we can take care of people same way by intercession and by witnessing. That's taking care of an intercessor. First of all, the intercessor sees in his own heart the kernel of every sin that he sees in other sinners, homosexuality and all. The Bible says about each one of us, Psalm 14:3, they are all gone aside, they are all together become filthy. There is not one that doeth good, no, not one. That describes you, that describes me. Families need to unite in a goal to seek the spiritual healing of a lost person. That heals a family. That heals a division of the family. I think I've told you the story before, but one time there was a freight ship, a freighter, you know, a merchant marine, in the sailing there, and the captain looked on the deck in front of him, and two sailors were duking it out. They were fist fighting each other on the deck of the boat. They were fighting. And then all of a sudden, another sailor fell overboard, and the captain yelled out, man overboard. And those two sailors who were fighting, they dove into the water, and they worked together to rescue this man. You see the symbolism there? Maybe we don't get along, whatever, there are problems, divisions, whatever. But in a family, you would... so when a family unites themselves, unite themselves to say, you know what? We're going to focus on this sinner. We're going to focus on this sinner as a family. All of a sudden, there's unity. They have a goal that they're working together in. So it's a good anxiety for an intercessor 
who is like the description here in verse 18 of Boaz, who will not rest. And we can see this good, restless anxiety of the intercessor in Paul in Romans 9.1. Romans 9.1, Paul, he's anxious. He's restless when he says words like, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know, a person says something like that. When a person says they have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, that's a description of a deep, restless anxiety. And that's a good anxiety for the intercessor. When a person says, I could wish myself had gone to hell from Christ, or they're cursed from Christ for my brethren, if I could trade positions with them, I'll do it. That's a description of a deep anxiety, a restlessness. That's the anxiety of an intercessor. That's a good anxiety because it drives the intercessor to do what the next chapter says in Romans 10.1, Romans 10.1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That restless anxiety drives a person to prayer. And when you think that a person is coming to God for the Jewish people, and that person is described as one who has great heaviness, continual sorrow in his heart, to the point where he could wish himself a curse from Christ for his brethren, the Jewish people, you think he would passively pray a prayer like, now, Lord, please bless the Jewish people. No, it's not going to be that way. He's got a deep heaviness. He's got a continual sorrow in his heart, and there will be a deep, continual passion in his prayers. Some might even call him emotional. Oh, wow, think of that, emotional, that's terrible. But that's a Holy Spirit-driven, deep and continual restless passion that's described by Romans 9. One and two there, he said, I have a deep, great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. So what he was saying was that the Holy Ghost was driving that restless, great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart. You know, we are not living in a world of intercession. We're not living in a world of intercession that's being driven from a great, restless, great heaviness and continual sorrow in the heart. We're living in a world of chemically-induced passivity. We're living in a world of chemically-induced great and continual passivity. And God is looking for intercessors who will groan from deep heaviness and continual sorrow in the heart. Want to sign up for being an intercessor? God says, sign up right here. I'm looking for groaners and people who sigh. And that was God's calling to Ezekiel. God says, Ezekiel, I want you to groan. I want you to sigh. He told Ezekiel, that's your job. In Ezekiel 21.6, Ezekiel 21.6, Sigh, therefore, thou son of man, with the breaking of thy loins, and with the bitterness sigh before their eyes. God told Ezekiel, go find others who will groan and sigh, who will sigh and cry. In Ezekiel 9.4, Ezekiel 9.4, the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of thy city, through the midst of Jerusalem, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. See, this groaning, this sighing, this crying is what we see in the Lord Jesus, as we see in him. In John eleven thirty three, John eleven thirty three, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And a couple of verses down, John eleven thirty eight, John eleven thirty eight, Jesus therefore, again, groaning, in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave. Stone was on it. You know, Mark 8.12, Mark 8.12, straightway 
He entered into a ship with his disciples and came to the parts of Dominotha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, tempting him. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why is this generation seek after a sign? A true intercessor feels for the lost their deep need for God. The world needs God. And a true intercessor feels how the world needs God. And this world is hostile toward God. This world is hostile toward Christmas. This world is hostile toward nativity scenes. I remember, Gene, you must remember too, going down to Balboa Park at the Oregon Pavilion this time of the year, and there were set up stalls that demonstrated the whole Christmas account, and the last stall was a nativity scene. How many remember those? Good, okay. But you know what happened? They're not there anymore. You know why? Because it was banned by our city. Our city banned Christmas displays. They banned nativity scenes on public property. Can you believe that? Our city said no to Christmas and nativity scenes on city property. Two weeks ago, that's a San Diego. Two weeks ago, we had our annual parade, annual parade of lights in Tecate. Everybody makes a big float. With Scannabodies again, who made a big float. And this time, like last year, we had a living Christmas nativity scene. Oh, it was great. The engineering department, they worked a long time. They built a hillside of Bethlehem with little houses and lights on it and animals. It was fabulous. And then inside there, they had um, made life-size animals. And, and over the nativity scene was a big ribbon and a bow. And then underneath it said, John 3.16, this is God's gift to the world. It was really great. For the first time in Takati's history, we have a woman mayor. There's a mayor, she's a woman, woman mayor in Takati. And you know what she did? The new mayor came to us and asked us to set up the Scannabody's nativity display right in the middle of the town plaza for the Christmas season. That's great. I said, you came above San Diego. San Diego says, no, we will not have a Christmas nativity display on the city property. Cian Nakati says, yes, we'll have your Christmas display. That was great. City property. A true intercessor groans and sighs and has a deep heaviness and a continual sorrow for the city of San Diego that bans the account of God's gift to the world. You know, it's so common in churches you know, to have these classes on evangelism and how to witness, you know. and But God's order doesn't start there. God's order does not start with how to witness. God's order does not start with how to be a good witness. To be a good witness, a person must be an intercessor. To be a good witness, a person must first be a good groaner, <laughs> a good sire, a good crier, and have a deep heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart, then he's going to be a good witness. A good witness is a person who speaks because his heart is arrested, because it's pressed, because this Greek word, suneko, suneko means arrested. You know, it's used in, in Luke twenty two sixty three, Luke twenty two sixty three, where it says about the Lord's uh, trial, the men held suneko, they arrested Jesus, mocked him and smote him. And then uh, another one talks about that same use of that word, another use of the word, Luke 4.38, Luke 4.38. He arose out of the synagogue, entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken, suneko, 
with a great fever, and they besought her. Anyone here had the flu recently? <laughs> okay. That's called suneco. That's to be held, that's to be held, arrested. You know, and you want to get out of the flu, and you can't. And you take all these drugs and do everything else, and it's just, and the flu has you in its grip. It has you in its grip. As a matter of fact, in French, that's the word for flu, la grippe. And it means the grip. <laughs> and in Spanish, it's la grippe. Right, Sam? Okay, Betsy says yes. All right, so it's the flu. It's got you held in the flu, okay? That's like being arrested and not being able to get out. Whether you're arrested by force or whether you're arrested in the flu, it's suneco. It's the grip. Now, Acts 18.4, Acts 18.4, speaking of Paul. He reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed, suneco. He was arrested. He was in the grip. Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Acts 4.20, Acts 4.20. We cannot, we cannot, but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And Acts 2.36, Acts 2.36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then he goes on. And you can read all about that. Acts, Acts 17, he talks about he was openly alleging that Christ must needs have suffered. In Acts 20, he says, I kept back nothing. I showed you. I taught you. I publicly went from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 20, 20. I kept back nothing. I showed you. I taught you. I testified. That's being Seneco. That's being arrested with a deep heaviness and a continual sorrow that drives to witnessing. That's what Micah, Micah, Micah 3.8, Micah 3.8. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And so anyway, it goes on, and this is what characterized the Lord when it says from Psalm 69.9, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. And the reproaches of them reproachly fall on me. John 2.17, the disciples remember that it was written, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. All right, so let's bring this all together. So Christmas season, let's be like Boaz. As the man who will not rest by asking God for the gift of a holy anxiety for the lost around us. Let's ask God for that gift. Second, Christmas season, let's be like Boaz is a man who will not rest by entering into this deep heaviness and continual sorrow for the lost. And this Christmas season, let's be like Boaz is the man who will not rest by copying the Samaritan who had compassion on the lost, who went to the lost, who really wanted the lost to be healed from their sins, identified with the lost, and brought the lost to the one who could heal them, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for you are the great seeker. You are the great groaner. You are the great signer, Lord. You are the great one who took care of the lost, Lord, and we want to take care of the lost. We want to please you. So help us this Christmas season, Lord, to turn our eyes to Jesus and turn our eyes to the lost with a deep heaviness in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.